Welcome to Casting Nets, a podcast about real life, living faith. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Dave Rudot. I am with Pastor Will Harley today for, I don't know, as long as it takes to do three episodes, right? Uh, yeah, we, we are, we're going to run the marathon today because um, Dave has decided that, you know, it's better to spend time with his family and go on vacation. And so we wanted to, and we missed last week because uh, we had other obligations that we had to attend to. So um, we are, we're going to run the marathon of three podcasts. Uh, maybe wait until the third one before you judge us, uh, because I bet you the third one will be fantastic. So anyway, the uh, topic for today is uh, talking about the history and practices of confirmation. I had confirmation last week. Will is having confirmation this week. And we thought we'd have a podcast about the history and traditions of confirmation. Where do they come from? And we discovered that, and we hope that you also discover today, that there isn't as much history and tradition in some of the history and tradition that we think happens at confirmation. So today in our podcast, uh, this is just two pastors uh, who have read a ton of information in two weeks' time, and we're just spilling out our thoughts on this. Uh, this it, it may not represent uh, all of what we actually stand for. It doesn't necessarily represent what our churches stand for or what our church body stands for. But we hold ourselves to the confession, and we are welcoming you in on the conversation between two uh, Wells pastors, and uh, we welcome your thoughts, your comments. You can uh, email us uh, at castingnetspod at gmail.com. You can talk to us personally, face-to-face, and and give us questions or uh, reactions to the podcast that you watched. Uh, You can also look look for us on Facebook as well. Or you can listen to another podcast. Go click, click the next one. I mean, we got three of them that we. Uh, well, I suppose we're gonna we're gonna alternate them. For, you have to wait a week for the next one, or or just uh, go to the next uh, podcast or a, a podcast that you have already. I think this is a, a good moment for us to say that this show has been brought to you by the Holy Spirit, who gives <laughs> us all the words to say um, when we don't know what to say. And so without further ado, let's jump on into the show before we get ourselves into more trouble. You were, your task for looking at the history and traditions of uh, confirmation was to look at the rite of confirmation and a little bit of the history. So tell us more about the history and the rite of confirmation. Well, interestingly enough, um, when you when you start to look at the history and the rite of confirmation, you find out that there really isn't any history and, and really there isn't any rites for confirmation. Um, I, I think we'd go back and, and we'd want to, we want to say that there is an establishment of a confirmation of sorts. Um, throughout, uh, we, we would want to go back to scripture and say, okay, there's a precedent for this. And, and that's where I first started. I, I, I kind of first started with, with where is this precedent? Um, and I was drawn back to, uh, oddly enough, I was drawn back to um, Jesus going to the temple when he was around 12 years of age. Um, and and he was questioned, and he had discussions with the the those who were learned in the temple, and they were amazed at at his responses and uh, to those questions and the things that he was giving. And, and we of course know the point of that. You know, uh, apparently his parents left and forgot about him. Three days later, they come back and find him there, and um, 
we, we know how that goes. And, and then, of course, we jump ahead and it says that he grew in, in wisdom and stature between men and God. Um, so, so there is a precedent for uh, a coming of age ceremony-ish. And, and I think that's maybe where some of the ideas of confirmation came from. But it, it really took on a life of its own within the history of, of God's people. Um, after the apostolic age, um, so after the age of the apostles who, who went and preached and, and teaching, um, you have the rise of, of confirmation catechisms um, that were, were coming out. Uh, of course, we said before on, on a previous podcast that, that, that Romans really is like the first catechism. I mean, it is a, it is a confirmation of the basic doctrines of the church. But after that, you had the rise of the Didache, uh, which was a, an, another uh, book of teachings for the church. Um, oddly enough, it, 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 it wasn't as extensive as you would think a confirmation would be or a catechism book would be. Um, it, but it was, here's the basic tenets of the Christian faith. Here is the basic ways that, that a Christian should live. Um, and, and if you live these ways, people can assume you're a Christian. Um, it, it's, it's kind of not as long as you would, you would have hoped and prayed it would have, it possibly could have been, but it seems to be at that time as the church began to grow, um, more rights, uh, and, and I, it's going to sound bad if I say it this way. And so please forgive me. I don't mean it in a bad connotation, but pomp and circumstance started to surround these milestones, um, and, and started to become part of the religious order. Would, would, would you, would it be safe to say that, uh, after the church, uh, emerges from its being persecuted and becomes more well-known, uh, through Constantine and so on, becomes more of a, an, a, a, uh, a presence in society and culture that it, then it, it also adopts more, of culture and society's uh, rights and traditions. Um, yeah, I suppose you could you could claim that um, that as the church grew and became more of a presence, it became more structured. Um, I I would say that uh, historically, you had that battle already within the epistles. Uh, with the the Gnostics and and then again with the Judaizers, um, both groups, you know, saying they had certain uh, uh, elements that you had to follow for you to be able to obtain certain rights and privileges within the church, um, or knowledge within the church. And so I I think the idea of of pomp and circumstance, or uh, the, the idea of right, the idea of of following certain rights, doing certain things, has always been a a stress point within the congregation and within the church body um, because it is natural for mankind to gravitate towards um, rights and gravitate towards certain practices. And that necessarily isn't necessarily a sinful thing. Uh, we think of God as a God of order. So we think of our new man wanting to do things in an orderly way. Um, Paul talks about that first Corinthians fourteen forty four. everything should be done in an orderly way, but then also, we have our sinful nature, which likes to um, say, I do this, God does that. 
Well, and I think that's where where we have the this problem with the the idea of the right of confirmation, and and as it as it sort of progressed and changed throughout history, um, and and I think you're right, and, and I'm not saying it's sinful to have rights, and I'm not saying it's sinful. I I love rights. I love the right of worship. Um, I I love the orders of worship um, that we have because I think they they really are made for the the sole purpose of focusing our attention on. Um, what is important so that when we leave, you know, we've talked about this when we were talking about preaching, right? That, that when, when your pastor completely flops in his sermon, um, at least throughout the, the, the worship service, you heard law and gospel, because that's the point of the, the order of worship, right? Um, and so those things are very, very good. And the structure in which you find them are very, very good. When it comes to confirmation, though, I think what, what we, what we fail to realize is that what we have what we see today in confirmation, and, and I would say today confirmation is in flux. Um, the idea of confirmation is in flux. The idea of catechism is in flux. Um, and and the, the, the right that is surrounding it is, is changing again. Um, let's, just, let's just leave it at that for now. But I think it came into this practice because, as, the, as you said, in, in during the time of Constantine when the church became a formal entity, um, you had this huge explosion and and so um and and we good bad or indifferent but we go back to the catholic church in some of this because they kept a lot of really good records um and and they kind of explain in in a very good way in in, in catholic history where this idea of the right of confirmation sort of came from and, and i would say that they took it to the wrong extent they they viewed it as a sacrament we don't there's only two sacraments there's the sacrament of baptism and the lord's supper um, and third, if you get into that discussion of confession and absolution, I kind of don't. But that's a totally different story, totally different podcast. But in the Catholic Church, they had this 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 connection between in the early in in the early stages of the church before Constantine, before it became sort of like a mainstream thing. They had this this idea of of baptism, confirmation, and the celebration of the Lord's Supper all combined, the first celebration of the Lord's Supper all combined on one day. And there is, um, historically, you have that being celebrated on Easter vigil, or Easter itself. Um, later, it shifts to to being a split time uh, where, where it was celebrated on Palm Sunday. And, and historically, especially in the Lutheran Church, it goes back to being celebrated on Palm Sunday, um, so that uh, the confirmands would be able to receive communion then on Easter, um, but it but it came and it had this idea of the the bishop. So, if, for people who don't know what a bishop is, um, it would just be the 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 circuit pastor or the district president or um, however you want to say it. it was the head pastor over all the other pastors. <laughs> That's the official term for the muckety muck, right? Right there, you go. Uh, the guy who thought he was better than everyone else. That guy. Um, <laughs> Like my circuit pastor. Wait, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can say that because Dave is my circuit pastor. But no. Um, um, what they would have, they have the, this head, that the, the, the guy who was, who was elected, uh, called to be over all the other pastors, he would travel to these different congregations, and he would do the baptisms, and he would do the, the laying on of hands for um, the rite of confirmation, and then he would administer uh, the Lord's Supper for the congregants. And so we have this idea of the right being formed at that time where, where okay, we have a guy that we've called and given the responsibility to do this work. And so when he came around, because it took him a while to come around to do all this, that was the time that everything was done. And so um, you had this, this in history, 
this association between baptism, which is the entrance into faith, as as the Lord gives His Spirit um, and and makes us His children, and the the confirming of that faith and the laying on of hands and the recognition of 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 now your your acceptance into the body of believers. And then the reception also of one of the greatest gifts of the church, which is the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood and bread and wine. Um, so you had this now connection that forms. And like I said, it's late. It's after the apostolic age. This is after the apostles have gone, um, where this starts to come to fruition because people are, are naturally creatures of habit. And, and so this becomes the habit. Um, and then it shifts when the church exponentially grows because of the legalization of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe before we talk a little bit about that, is there, is there any other comments you might, you might have about this early connection between the, the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of the Lord's supper, and now this little, this little thing inside that we have this, the acceptance into the community of the church. That's uh, the idea that, uh, the Lord's Supper is connected with baptism was a fascinating one for me. Just the idea of this is a, it used it used to be one big package, and it was actually the package was much bigger than we had now. Um, Apollotus in uh, in his book called the Apostolic Tradition, which there is some controversy about whether he actually wrote this or whether it's older than uh, one seventy to two thirty six. But he talked about how the what you were saying about the bishop going around. You you did the baptism because you didn't have the bishop, and then the bishop came around and he did something called uh, chrismation, which is uh, anointing with oil. What we the only thing we have left of that is just putting the sign of the cross on the baby when we baptize. But he would do. They would anoint with oil. They would uh, lay on of hands. Uh, I did a lot of research on laying on of hands. So whenever we want to talk about that. Um, but this idea of the laying on of hands, the anointing with oil, was all part of the baptism package. And then also receiving the Lord's Supper afterwards was all part of the baptism package. And over time, uh, those were separated because you couldn't get the bishop there in time to do that whole package. And so the uh, anointing with oil, the laying on of hands was something that was delayed until later. And over a long period of time, Confirmation uh, happens to kids who are older until the uh, Council of Florence in 1439 is when the Roman Catholic Church officially says uh, this is the confirmation is a sacrament. So how doctrine works in the Roman Catholic Church is they uh, the Roman Catholics practice a certain thing for a long period of time, and then the Roman Catholic Church puts a stamp on it and says, oh, this is official doctrine. Uh, instead of going to the, the scriptures first, and finding out where the doctrine is, they go to the traditions and practices of the people in that uh, in in the Roman Catholic Church. Well, I think there's also something else that we see as a shift, and and one of the things that I that I, I I think I'd like to highlight is is what we see even in the Apostolic Age in the Book of Acts. We see a lot of adults becoming Christian as the church grows, and so <clears throat> there's and there is a demographic shift, um, and we see that even in our mission congregations where a lot of adults 
come to the faith. But then all of a sudden the congregation shifts and then we have less adult baptisms and we have more infant baptisms as, as those families who are now in faith have kids and they bring their children to the Lord and the Lord claims them as his own. And and I think there's this is where we have sort of this shift of what happens where we're now we're like in our culture, in our in, in the way that we do things, we have a very different and I would say this on average, it's different. Where we have baptism, where the, where where it's the child, the child is baptized, and then confirmation is is later on, and 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 the reception of of communion later on. See, when when it's an adult, a lot of that can happen all at once because instruction has been taking place, baptism takes place, they have been instructed, they confirm that instruction, and then they receive the sacrament. We do that as well. We have Bible information class, which is in a way, a confirmation class, a catechism class, and, and they they are baptized, they pr- make their promises before the Lord, which is a confirming of the faith that is given to them, and they receive the Holy, they, they receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, but they, they also receive um, the gift of forgiveness through the, the, the taking of Christ's body and blood and bread and wine uh, in the Lord's Supper. So we still retain a lot of that early practice with our adult, Confirmands, you might say, or our our, our new members, um, but but where you you see this shift comes with the children, and I think that's what happens within even in, in the Catholic Church, where they they start to shift out these and parse out these practices, these rites, and now they become separated because, like I said, the church gets older. Um, you know, you have less people who are adults coming to the faith, and more of them are having children who they're bringing to be baptized. And so now they have to be instructed um, in the faith that they have been given so they understand what it is that, that God has been doing for them. They then uh, go through this thing that we call the rite of confirmation, or the Catholic Church uses as the sacrament of, uh, of confirmation. By the way, it's not a sacrament because for it, and I think this is for our, for your li- our listeners too, um, a sacrament has to be instituted by Christ and has to offer the forgiveness of sins. Um, and have an earthly element and the word of God behind it. Um, yeah. And catechism or confirmation doesn't have that. I get the only earthly element that comes even close would be the laying on of hands. But our apology of the Augsburg Confession lumps um, confirmation or the laying on of hands as not a sacrament. It's useful. It's a, a useful rite that we use, but we wouldn't put it on the same level as baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right, and, and so I so again, it's a rite, um, but it is not a, a sacrament. So that's so, but but essentially, the 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 progression of of how confirmation goes from really a non-existent thing to an existent thing comes in as the as the church grows and establishes itself, and and it really uh, starts to lay down these these basic ground rules or ground rules that says okay we we want to make sure that people understand what it is that they are receiving and what it is that they are 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 getting, and so you have this basic framework of a question and answer that come up, um, very similar to as I said before Jesus going to the temple, um, and and we call it a bar mitzvah now in in Jewish culture. But it's the same idea. It's it's they are at an age where, where there should be understanding before they enter into to the rights and the abilities of of what an adult would start to practice among the the faithful, um, and and they want to make sure that that they know their stuff. Um, so I I don't think it's as 
as far-fetched of a rite as as what we see Jesus participating in um, and, and, and doing what is good and God-pleasing. Um, now, that being said, I, I think there is some practices within the rite of confirmation that are worth talking about and worth a discussion of do we retain them? And I think that's where where you did a lot of your research in like the laying of the hands, the, you know, wearing certain garments um, and, and the like of that. So unless we have more history that we want to talk about just in the general formation of how this right sort of came along, why don't we direct ourselves to some of the things that are found within that right and, and, and sort of maybe talk about that? Sure. Uh, you want to start with the clothes and why, why they're wearing that? Um, and I, I was fascinated with the, um, with the, the flowers. Why do confirmands wear flowers? And, because uh, they're pretty. Because they're pretty. And I, I looked in, uh, I was, <laughs> I couldn't find really any reason why there's some really, uh, out of the wall ideas about why you, like I, I looked up carnations and confirmation and, uh, they said, well, you should have carnations because carnations happen because the Virgin Mary, when Jesus was carrying the cross, she was crying. And when she cried, the carnations bloomed. And so, therefore, we should have carnations as part of confirmation. So I, th- I, th- I saw that and I said, what in the world? And uh, the uh, I know why they're not posies, though. Why are they not posies? Because posies are the flowers that they put on the coffins for death. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so. And that's it, why during and, and during the Black Death, you had that song, A Pocket Full of Posies. Pocket, ashes, ashes, they all, all fall down. down. That was that was a song about the Black Death. Oh. And so pos- they, they weren't posies. So if you think that posies are going to be the, the confirmation flower. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, I guess the only only closest thing we could think of of flowers and uh, or some kind of connection is the idea of, and this is a super stretch. I'll, I'll admit this is the idea. Well, if Jesus in the Song of Songs refers to himself as the Rose of Sharon, so then you have Jesus close to your heart by wearing of the carnation flower. But isn't the Rose of Sharon in the Song of Songs a reference to uh, the woman? And how he views her as this beautiful rose out in the middle. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It all I falls think apart. that falls apart. It all falls apart. So there really isn't a biblical any reference to it wearing flowers on confirmation. But it, like you said, it's pretty. Um, I am in fact the history of having a carnation or wearing carnations would be something uh, the effect of rationalism on confirmation. We didn't talk about. Uh, how the pietists looked at confirmation and said, hey, this is great because now we can make sure these kids uh, make a decision for Christ in some sort of way that they actually make this faith that uh, they received this, this, uh, uh, all the information that they've received and actually you know, demonstrate that they believe in, in Jesus and they, they have that inner feeling in, within their heart that they uh, believe in Jesus. So we have this uh, ceremony of confirmation. The rationalism was a response to that, and the rationalism said, let's make sure these kids uh, know the information of the Bible. It became more of an intellectual exercise, and so a lot of the rites or a lot of the trappings of confirmation that seemed to us like graduation, such as uh, confirmation procession, where all the confirmands process into the uh, worship space, that was the, the, uh, uh, the influence of rationalism, just to, m- looking at confirmation not in terms of an entrance into a... a, a the 
a membership of the church or now we get to receive the Lord's Supper or a, uh, um, a remembrance of their baptism, what happened at their baptism, that they're brought into the Christian faith, and now they confess that faith that they were baptized into. Now it becomes a, 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 a pomp and circumstance. You know, it, it's kind of an interesting development. And, and when you get into the Enlightenment age and you have the rise of, well, it's even a little bit before the Enlightenment, you have even during the time of, of Luther, um, where you have this pushback between <clears throat> Luther, who who very rightly and wonderfully, along with a lot of the other Lutheran reformers, started to really condense and clarify what really is a sacrament and what isn't a sacrament, what is, is adiaphora, which is, is something that is probably nice but isn't commanded by the Lord or not forbidden by the Lord. Um, and, and he starts making these delineations where you have, <clears throat> you, have you know, Zwingli and you have... Um, some of the other reformers uh, outside of the Lutheran circles who who are pushing back heavily against the Lutheran church. It's interesting to me how they, um, in their attempt to push back against the Catholic church, really cling to some of the very rights of the Catholic church in the same meanings that, that they have just um, stripping it of its sacramental value, um, but instead highlighting the, the internal choice of it um, by still, but still keep the, and retain the, the practice of it. Um, I find it interesting because you still have that in the Methodist church. You have that in, in the Baptist church where you have this, uh, we're going to, we're going to teach the kids um, and, and sway them to have an emotional response or to have an intellectual response. Um, <clears throat> in the Lutheran church, it, it's kind of a, an interesting, I, I, I it's kind of an interesting paradox. paradox yeah. Um, that's a good way of saying it because it is a very an intellect it is a very intellectual practice. Um, the the idea of of catechism, at least for us here at St. John's, for you and Shirley, is three year. It's a three year course, um, and we spend time predominantly memorizing. I mean, it is a very intellectual uh, process and a very intellectual. Um, type of endeavor where, okay, here we have the, the catechism, uh, we have the Ten Commandments, we have um, the Lord's Supper, we have baptism, we have uh, the articles of the Apostles' Creed, we have uh, the Lord's Prayer, we have confession and absolution. Um, <clears throat> all, of these, all of these aspects that are, are played in, and we say, okay, now memorize them. And then we spend time in the class and we say, okay, here's the Bible verse that supports this, and here's the Bible verse that supports that, and, and what do you think about this, and do you understand what God is saying here? And by the way, and memorize this proof passage to prove exactly what you were just memorizing there, and what does this mean here? And, and There's going to be a test. There's going to be a test because I have to make sure that you know something yes. um, so that you can have a grade on it. Um, so it becomes a very intellectual process, and I, I don't think that in the, in the historical approach to this, that it was as much intellectual as it was uh, a spiritual reality, and and I and I try to reclaim that in, and I think some of the churches are very rightly trying to reclaim that in how they're shifting the way that they approach confirmation and the right of confirmation, like in in in, and I don't know if I do it right, but I'll just give you my congregation as a as a case study. <clears throat> I give I we we go through three years of confirmation. Um, I give them a test. And, and it's just, do you understand it? Here are the questions. Explain it in your own words. Do you, do you understand this? Uh, it's a very extensive test, but it goes through here. You know, we go through what is the word, you know, you know, who is God? 
uh, who is Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, uh, what what happens, how does this all work together, what has he done for us, um, what, is, what is baptism, what does it do for you, what is the Lord's Supper, what does it do for you, um, go through all of that. And then, and then we have a day, like you said, ours is coming up this weekend, where <clears throat> it follows the tradition that our church had of, of, let's get the kids in front of us and do a question and answer. But instead of testing them and say, okay, you're confirmed on whether you succeed in this question and answer before the entire congregation, I, I kind of say this is their opportunity to confess their faith through question and answer. That, that this is the opportunity to confess what it is that they believe after they have learned it. And I, I'm, I'm, I hope, and I don't know if people agree with me or not, but I hope that this is starting to reclaim an idea of this isn't just memorization, but this is, this is their faith that we're talking about. Right, and avoiding the ditch of saying, well, we have to make an emotional response or that it's all up to them now um, to make this decision for Christ. It's a it's a reality. And what I like about uh, uh, the rites of our confirmation is that we are always tying everything back to baptism. Not that baptism didn't take or that it's incomplete, but the faith that they were baptized in is the faith that they are confessing. There really hasn't been anything new added to them, just more information perhaps uh, more understanding of their faith, but they still believed in the triune God, even as an infant, because the Holy Spirit led them to believe that. Which is which leads me to the white robes, uh, which I found as also fascinating why they are white. Usually it is, uh, we look at it, and maybe we explain it, maybe you explain it well, Will, that uh, white robes signify the baptism, uh, that the white robes that they have through what Christ has done is, received, is given to them uh, through the the word and the water in baptism. But I also found, I was looking around at the history and how it is also viewed by our culture. And uh, in Roman Catholicism, the white robes that they would wear at, at confirmation is not really a, um, not really a tie into baptism, but just the idea of innocence, like the idea of the white uh, wedding, a, a bride wearing white uh, to, to talk about her virginity, where there is that emphasis rather than we're uh, holy and righteous in, in Christ because of our baptism. Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I avoid white robes at all. I, I just, I, I mean, I wear a white alb for, for worship, but I don't really stress the idea of a white robe in the teaching of, of the catechism uh, and when I teach confirmation, um, mostly because at least in the congregations I've been a part of, um, they don't have a white robe that they wear for baptism anymore. Um, and most of them have left the tradition of wearing a white robe for the confirmants. Um, they just dress nicely. And so I, 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 I do teach when we talk about, um, in, in confirmation class, we talk about an, uh, the aspect of worship and we and talk about worship. I say, why do I wear a white alb? And the idea of wearing the white alb is because um, I represent in a very visual way, the, what we all are, which is this white robed martyrs. Um, we are the, 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 those clothed in white through the blood of Christ. And in a very visual way, I represent that, uh, in front of the congregation. Plus, so, plus you want to hide yourself. Well, yeah, because I am not a very fashionable person <laughs> and, and you know, and I know what my garb is and, and, but, but I, but I think there is something there is, and, and and here's where I come back down to to the whole idea of the white robe and even the even the flowers. <clears throat> um, there are traditions in the church that that crop up and things that that become part of the practice, right? 
And I have no problem with the practices of the church. Um, I think some of them are very, very beautiful. Um, but when they stop carrying the understanding that that they had when they were first brought in, then they're not useful anymore and they become more of a hindrance than they do anything else. And I think that is a personally, and maybe it's my fault because I don't enforce it enough, but in many of these cases, it's it ended way before I got there. So I I wasn't gonna re I wasn't gonna, gonna bring it back. Yeah, I'm not gonna bring something back to try to fight that battle. Um, but but I think when when they no longer serve that purpose and they're no longer being viewed as this is the reason why we're doing it and this is the lesson that it's teaching, it 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 needs to go to the way of the dodo bird because it becomes more of a hindrance and becomes more of the relig- uh, the, the, the ritual that we think we are doing something to please God because we're doing that. Or that we're being connected to the uh, Christian church when it really isn't a, a strong connection that we think it is. We think, oh, this is what they've been doing for generations. And, that and it may the, have been. It may have been, um, but it may have outlived its usefulness. Like you said, rights aren't necessarily a wrong thing just because it's a right or a tradition isn't necessarily a wrong thing just because it's a tradition. But we should, if it's a tradition, if it's not found in Scripture, then we are free to look at it and say, should we keep doing this? Well, and I think that's that would be the, the um, honestly, that would be the whole question of confirmation in and of itself. Um, and maybe the reason why we're doing the podcast is, Historically, when we look at confirmation, we have a precedent that says, "Okay, there is a something." Um, I go, I, I'll come back to it in Scripture. Jesus came, was questioned, right at twelve, presented, and 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 they were amazed at his answers. Okay, so there's a something. What is that something? Well, he was he was also asking questions too. Exactly, right? like there was I said, a, a, a play in between himself and the teachers. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like I said, there's a something. What is that something? We're we're not a hundred percent. You can't nail it down and say here it is. Um, but there was a something, and then as the church progresses, they have a something. There there is like we have Romans as okay. Here's a here is a teaching. Um, uh, here's a book of teaching. We have the Didache. Here's a book of teaching. We have the establishment of okay. There before you can before you can amalgamate into the body of believers we do want to make sure that you understand what it is that you believe. So we know that there is there is a precedent for instruction. Um, and that even comes from the the um, from our Lord as as he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have commanded you. Um, so there's the idea of, of baptizing and teaching. Now, where I think the question in the whole idea of confirmation is, where does that teaching end? And to me, it doesn't. And I think confirmation puts in a false stop. And, and I think that's where we're, we're trying. That's why I think in today's society, in the church, there's, a, there's such a huge shift in what confirmation is becoming because I think confirmation becomes the false stop. It, it, at least it's been perceived that way throughout history. Historically, and we, we kind of approach that, that historically confirmation became the false stop. That, okay, I was baptized, I'm confirmed, I receive communion, <laughs> I'm done. You know, and, and I think many people have said that. I, they went through confirmation, I'm done. And, and, and the Lord doesn't give that false stop when he gives us the Great Commission. Baptize and teach everything I've commanded. Well, 
I have I have been doing this pastor thing for going on twelve years. You've more than me. Um, brothers in the ministry that we we serve with, you know, two decades, three decades under their belt, still have yet to dive the complete depths of everything Christ has commanded us. What makes you think that you've went through two or three years of confirmation only during the nine-month period of August through, let's say, May or whatever, that <clears throat> or 30 class periods, that you know everything there is to know about what Christ has commanded you? I, I think it offers a false stop. I would certainly agree, and it seems like from a generation, a gen- or recent generations, like you have mentioned before, this whole idea of confirmation is an idea that's in flux. Just the idea of why are we, why are we doing this? Is this communicating something to God's people that we don't want to communicate? Such as, you don't need to learn anymore. Uh, this is why I was, I really appreciated this uh, getting ready for this podcast, just because of the historical emphasis on confirmation was not on. You finished your education, and here it is. But here, you you know enough to receive the Lord's Supper, and that's why there's always this tension whenever you get to when you're talking about who is properly prepared to receive the sacrament and the preparation for sacrament of, of Holy Communion. We we as pastors, we always kind of insert. Well, you have to examine yourself. Well, in order to examine yourself, you have to know everything what the Bible has to say, and we kind of we we try to defend the what we're doing in confirmation as if. You have to know all this stuff before you can examine yourself. And I'm not sure that's what Jesus uh, or what Paul was talking about when he's talking about examining himself. Yes, we don't want to give it to babies because babies can't examine themselves as far as we can tell. But perhaps we can be giving them communion earlier, which is, I think this would be a topic for another uh, uh, podcast for just talking about where can confirmation go. Today is more about the history and traditions of of, of uh, well, now that you open up the can of worms, though, I got to make at least one comment on it, <laughs> and 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 I would make the comment that you know I, I think on the on the pastor's side we become very guarded because we um we spend our entire life in the study of scriptures and we find out how much we don't know and we are humbled by the fact that people gather around to hear from us and we're like we're just as just as baffled by the grace of God as you are, and why would you listen to me? <clears throat> but then we look at that and we say, okay, I've, I've made this my entire life study, and you receive, and we look at these little, these kids, and we say, you're receiving the same benefits that I am. Um, and, and I think that that's the, that's the little pietist in all of us that says, well, you're not as good as me, so you have to examine yourself better. Um, but really, I think what we have in the idea, and, and we get this from Corinthians, and we can talk about it at a different time, but I think we should say it. We do get it from from First Corinthians that that the idea of examining yourself is recognizing that you are receiving the body and blood of Christ, and recognizing that you are a sinner forgiven freely in that body and blood of Christ uh, through this sacrament. And if you recognize that, go for it. Um, now that being said, that excludes from the table all of the reformed. <laughs> Not because they don't. I don't believe that. I, I not because they don't believe that they're sinners, saved through the blood of Christ. It's because they don't believe that Christ can be in bread and wine and is actually there, really there in real presence for you. So if you knock that out, the idea of real presence and examining yourself and recognizing the real presence of Christ in the sacrament, you have you have 
you have removed yourself from the ability of receiving the sacrament because you're going to take it to your harm because you're, you're denying the very thing that God has given for your lifeblood. Another conversation for a totally different time, but, but I think it's, it's important. So let's just, in, in the time, I mean, we, we got a lot of time left, so I'm not, I'm not trying to rush us through anything. Um, but, but I know you were really, really excited of this thing called the laying on of hands. And, and I think it's important because the laying on of hands is not just a confirmation thing. Um, and so, so maybe let's, why don't you lead us down that? And what is this practice, historical practice within the confirmation? Right. Thank you. Uh, before I do that, I just wanted to talk about the color on uh, confirmation. And I learned something that I didn't learn before. Just the idea of, I always, in my head was, red is always the color of confirmation. We always have the color because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And reading all of the, the articles that you had sent to me and also reading some articles on our seminary, Wells, uh, WLS seminary website about the history and practice of communion, I really changed my mind on do we have to have red on confirmation just because of the idea of red is, we think of Pentecost, we think of the sending of the Holy Spirit, like that we are receiving a special gift uh, on Pentecost. So now, therefore, if we have it on confirmation, then people get the idea that they're receiving a special gift of the Holy Spirit uh, at confirmation. And part of that is through the laying on of hands. Like this is something special, uh, something different than receiving the word of God. And the laying on of hands is something that is done, uh, as you said, not just for confirmations. A laying on of hands, Jesus laid his hands on people to heal them. He laid his hands on children. Uh, he... Um, uh, um, oh, then the um, <clears throat> excuse me, and in the early church in Acts, uh, the, the apostles uh, lay hands, they lay on people, lay their hands on people to heal them, and then also, uh, it, interestingly enough, like in Acts 8, there's a story of Simon the sorcerer who sees the disciples and the apostles laying their hands on people and seeing the effect of that, that they receive the Holy Spirit. And so he wants to buy that, and then and then uh, Peter responds and says, uh, how, "How dare you try to think that you can uh, buy a gift of God?" Which I think is very important that Peter says, "Gift of God, not promise of God, not sacrament of God." Just this is the Holy Spirit in the early church. He pours out Himself, and He He gives enables this to happen, and He connects Himself with the laying on of hands. But He never prescribes it as if this is something that has to happen in order for the Holy Spirit to come. When Paul is talking to Timothy about I laid hands on you and you received the Holy Spirit, he never once says this is something that uh, God promises that that when you lay your hands on somebody that you receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, the laying on of hands is something that was all part of what we were talking about when the bishop would come by and uh, put the oil on the baby and, and, and finish off, shall we say, finish off the baptism practice with the laying on of hands, the, the uh, making the sign of the cross, the anointing with oil. All of that was part of the package of baptizing someone. Do you need all of that in order to have a valid baptism? According to the scriptures, no, you do not. It was just a rite that was done um, in the early church. But I, but I think there's, and, and, and speaking of color, um, there have been times, by the way, in, in my, and I switch depending on my mood. Um, sometimes I will wear red for confirmation um, with the celebration of Pentecost. But other times I have a stole that's a baptismal stole. It has the, the, the symbols of baptism on it, and it's white. 
and I'll wear that for confirmation as a connection to baptism. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but speaking of baptism in the laying on of hands, one of the things that I love about baptism, especially infant baptisms, is is you get to place the sign of the cross both upon the forehead and upon the heart. Then after the baptism, uh, you have that final blessing, right? Um, where, where unfortunately, most of us don't have it memorized, and I don't do enough baptisms to have it memorized, and that's bad, I understand. But I, I like to place my hand upon the head of the child um, and and be able to say directly to that child the blessing, right? Even though the whole congregation is listening to it, but this is for that child, that this is the, this is the truth that, and, and, and again, going back to the gift, this is the truth that God has given to them in this, in this sacrament. I kind of view the laying out of hands within the, within the, the, the rite of confirmation, and usually it's spoken during the reading of their verse, right? Um, to, depending, on when, depending on what order of confirmation that you use or, or how you arrange it, I have typically done it in the reading of their verse. Um, so I would, I, after the rite of confirmation, I'd, I'd place my hand on their head and, and read their dedicated verse for them as, uh, sort of the confirmation of this, this faith that you have now professed. Here's this gift of, of God's preserving word for you. Do you, do you mean that in the rite, right before the Bible passage, there is a blessing for each? There and, is. And we say, we as a congregation have prayed for you, all of you. Now we're going to convert confer on this individually and then we have a put place their hand on them give them a blessing and then also give them the right bible passage right and and, and like i said it's it's sort of connected mm-hmm. um and so i i and, and i've always viewed it as as sort of like this well again coming back to the historical idea that that this is this continuation of the reality that they live in from their baptism um that that the reality that they live in is they now understand in more depth not fully but in more depth just this wonderful gift of faith that God has given to them through the waters of baptism. Um, that 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 the the beauty of where this connects is, you know, and 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 I haven't been here long enough, but when I was in when I was in winter, I had the opportunity to confirm children I baptized, and that's kind of a neat deal, um, where where. You know, you had that opportunity to to be there, and and a lot of times in today's today's society, we don't have that opportunity because pastors are being switched around all the time. But there used to be a time when pastors were there from you know many generations, and they were able to baptize and confirm, and sometimes even marry the 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 same people. And and what a way to be able to confer and and still enforce that gift, right? I was there at your baptism, and I was I was able to bear witness through the laying on of hands to the gift that God has given to you, and and through the laying on of hands, I can now bear witness to the gift that Christ is continuing to give to you uh, through the Holy Spirit. Um, just as this continuation of of the beauty of it. Now, I, go on. Yeah. I think the really the the awesome part about the laying on of hands isn't the actual laying on of hands; is the idea of we are giving a blessing to that confirmand. And it's not a blessing where they get an extra special amount of the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. But just the idea of this is a practice that we can do is bless those around us, um, blessing our own children at night or blessing. I I have really, as a pastor, as a father, being able to bless my children 
in the morning or bless them at the, at the end of the night. It's not something that only pastors can do, but just the idea of Christians blessing one another and doing it in a very personal way. Laying on the hands makes it very personal. Uh, this is, these are the words, this is the blessing that I'm giving you exactly. And I remember for myself, uh, when I was confirmed and my father who confirmed me, he laid his hand on me. This is, he never, he wasn't a man of great emotion, but that was very emotional for him. And I just remember myself, he's putting the, his hand on, and as he's trying to uh, control himself, he leans more and more on my head. And so to hear it, you know, it's just, I'm crushing underneath the weight of his hand. Uh, but uh, it, it was memorable, and rem- it reminded me also of what, when I do that with my own boys. I remember uh, on my own children as well, on my daughter as well. Just the, that memory comes back to me of this is, he t- he took that was very personal to him to, to do that kind of blessing and to not uh, look at the laying on of hands a, a, on a child in a light way or not to look at it in terms of this is a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but this is a blessing. And that is, as we speak the words of God, that is a, 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 a the Holy Spirit is active there, but it is not special to confirmation. This is something we can do more often than we do. Uh, you, you will, I, I'm going to assume that there are a lot of people when you give the blessing at the end of the service that you can, you look out and you see just how important that is to them to receive that blessing. Uh, this is something we can maybe do more of in our homes as well. Well, you know, and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to piggyback off of, off of what you said, you know, that, that closeness of, of the weight of your father when he when he was able to offer that blessing to you. You know, there is a weight that comes with it and I think it is it is one that is is the weight of responsibility. Um many times in confirmation we our children go through confirmation because one if you're a part of a, a Christian day school, it's part of the curriculum. Um or if you're if you're a public school, it's because your parents said you have to go. Um but but there at that moment of of confirmation and where where you have that blessing bestowed, it's the gospel encouragement to continue in your own growth. That that now God is in many many ways giving you the reins to remain close to Him through His strength, and and and, and yes, there is as a Christian, and and this is one of those things where we find that that great uh, Lutheran middle where we cannot come to faith without the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit we come to faith. By the Holy Spirit we are brought into this wonderful, joyful kingdom. But but once we're there, you know, the Spirit gives us abilities to stay within it. And in and, and, and this blessing, you get this responsibility where it's handed to you now, where, where the joy of this responsibility is yours. It's one of the very first things. And maybe this is where that maturity you know, this is the sign of maturity, right? Where where the church sort of globbed onto this is that your your parents aren't going to be the ones saying, get to church, get to church, get to church. It's you've taken that responsibility onto yourself now. That that now it is your responsibility to grow in faith. It's your responsibility to continue to 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 come to the cross and receive these blessings. Um, and there is a, 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 I think there is a passing of the torch in many ways um, that are found within this act of confirmation that, that I think is more sobering than we care to admit. And 
as it is sobering and it's also empowering because we're giving you exactly what you need to stay in the, in the true faith. We're giving you the word of God. And now we're giving you the opportunity to, to come to the Lord's Supper and receive that strength. So not so don't look at it in terms of, uh, especially if you look at, if you look at confirmation in terms of the, a graduation, that this no longer do I need church, no longer do I need education, then confirmate, then that weight becomes super huge because you're, you're cutting yourself off from what the church is offering you to say, this is what's going to keep you in the true faith or what uh, Jesus promises, wherever two or three are gathered in, I, in my name, there I am with you. Or Jesus has promised that his word will not return to him empty. That as you go to, uh, to worship, as you have God's word in your life, as you receive the Lord's Supper, he is going to be there. His power is there to enable you to, to do the task that he has uh, put in front of you. And, and I think, you know, this is, so again, I would, I would highlight that, that that's not a law. I mean, the, the right of confirmation is not a, it's supposed, it's very gospel. It's, it shouldn't be law. But, but even in the gospel, gospel gives responsibility. Um, and, and that's a beautiful responsibility. Um, and, and so the, the, the thing that I think is going to happen to a lot of our confirmation members, confirmees, confirmands, however you want to call them, um, and this is because sometimes they follow in the footsteps of their own parents, is I've learned enough. I've grown enough. I have everything that I need. Now, is that true? Yeah, it is. You have everything that you need for eternal life. But you're so close to the fence, I don't think I'd be comfortable there. Um, you know, I, I, it's the opportunity for you to continue walking, right, closer and closer to that cross um, with the hopes that and with the prayer that uh, every day I get closer and closer to those beams. Um, because the, the reality is, um, through the waters of baptism, we're brought into faith, but, but every day um, in that faith walk, we can make our choices that move us further away. Um, and, and so come for communion, right? Uh, be confirmed. Continue to come for communion and receive the blessings uh, of what our Lord gives to us, the strength to continue to walk with him. Come to Bible study and, and, and recognize that, you know what? Just because you went through the six major parts, they're called the six major parts. That doesn't mean that they're the six only parts. Right. They're the six major parts of faith. Okay, that's great. But guess what? You still haven't learned everything. And you know what? Neither have I. And and I know neither of you. I mean, we study weekly um, to to enhance our own thoughts and abilities in, in confronting the scriptures and understanding the grace of God. There's been many times where we've sat in translation, you and I, um, with also Pastor Hefner, and we've said, wow, I completely missed that before. And, and what a humbling thing to be able to stand at the foot of the, of the cross of Christ, to stand at his feet and learn from him over and over and over again, no matter what age we are. Um, and so confirmation is not the end. It is the beginning. Um, these rites are there to help encourage. They're there to help um, not be a stop for us, but to be a continuation. Here you go. Here's a little extra uh, um, jolt to your system to, to, to get you continuing on this road um but but some of them are beautiful some of them are very beautiful practices some of them are um, um can be morphed can be shifted um to better suit the church and that's okay um but yeah i, I mean what do you got final thoughts uh you had you summed it up all right that's correctly. enough <laughs> 
we're done. <laughs> we got two more shows to do. <laughs> yeah, I that's I think that's I would share with what you said. We are we shared with you a little bit of the history and the rights of confirmation. We there's there's so much in this information, so much history and so many of the rights. We're not trashing rights just because they're rights. We're looking at why are why are we doing them? And for you as a, a dear listener, as you're listening to this, as you take in your confirmation uh, on this weekend uh, at St. John and Maribel, remember also, what is this for? So that they can receive the wonderful blessings of God's word and receive the wonderful blessings of God's sacrament. Let that be the focus rather than on the pomp and circumstance. <laughs>